So Money episode 648, Jack Finio, co-founder of Fund3. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. What is Bitcoin? We're going to get right to it on this episode. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. I should know what Bitcoin is, right? I mean, I know it's cryptocurrency, but I don't really know how it works. I don't really think that I should have to care about this. I, I just thought that this was something that was overly hyped and hopefully would just disappear. But I have to say, as somebody who works in the personal finance space, who writes about it, who talks about it, who meets people all the time who are doing interesting things in this whole category, Bitcoin is not going away. I've been getting more pitches about Bitcoin in the last probably 30 days than I have in the last three years. It's one of those things that makes you go, hmm, maybe we should do just a real entry-level 101 discussion around this on the show. And I thought that it would be great to bring on Jack Finio, who is the co-founder of Fund3. It's a quantitative hedge fund that uses machine learning to make sense of digital assets and cryptocurrency markets. And Jack is totally immersed in this market. He's going to tell us what is Bitcoin, why we should care, and what is the future? How is Bitcoin going to maybe revolutionize the way that we bank today? You know, the way that we deposit our money and take out our money and move money around in this world could be on the brink of change. And he's going to talk about what he is experiencing and how Fund3 is part of this market. A little bit more about Jack. He's a native New Yorker, grew up just steps away from Wall Street, and so naturally was intrigued by finance, investing, and entrepreneurship from a very early age. By 17, he had won multiple business blend competitions. In college, he studied traditional finance and computer science. Great combination if you ever want to graduate with a job. He graduated with a business. He quickly learned that AI and blockchain technology could become extremely disruptive. And it was there that he saw an opportunity to really capitalize on this trend and eventually start Fund3. He's very impressive. He is younger than probably most of you listening to this show. Lots that we can learn from Jack Finio. Here we go. Take a listen. Jack Finio, welcome to So Money, my millennial entrepreneur of the week. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me here, Parnoosh. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. I am so excited to have you on the show. I have yet to really do a show really ever on Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, frankly, because I'm a little afraid of the whole thing. Sure. I find it very mystifying. I find it like one of those stories that you think is just going to go away eventually on its own, but then it always finds its way back into the headlines. Obviously, Bitcoin had its run with the with headlines a few years ago. It seemed like there was this fascination around it. There was this surge in investing in Bitcoin and and people were like, oh, we're kind of skeptical about it, right? It's like, what is this weird financial currency? It'll just go away someday. It's 2017. <laughs> it has not gone away. And you, sir, are starting an entire company around this. So clearly, this is a force to be reckoned with. 
Fund 3 is your venture. I want to dive into the details of this. But before we get started, just as a 101 for all of us, including myself, what is cryptocurrency? What is Bitcoin? Is this something that we're really all going to become have to become more familiar with, you think? The most difficult thing that we've kind of faced um, in entering, you know, kind of this cryptocurrency world is, number one, it's a, a very technical, technological revelation in terms of the actual computer science behind what's, you know, behind closed doors anyway. And so with that, it takes a long time for users to feel comfortable with what is going on with their money. And especially the fact that it is your your kind of own financial assets. And it's such a, a change from the current system. It takes a very long time for the everyday user to feel comfortable stepping into this new realm. But as for what cryptocurrency is, cryptocurrency is really uh, a, you know, a capitalization on a new technology called a blockchain. And what a blockchain is, is very simply a new form of a ledger. It simply tracks transactions. But what it does with those transactions is it makes it very, very difficult to fake a transaction, but very easy to verify if those records are accurate. And what that allows us to do is create a new system where the user can can verify what they own, and then the entire network can verify that as well. So Bitcoin is an extension of this blockchain technology where the user is really just uh, using an application. Bitcoin is really just a computer program that allows you to hold a Bitcoin wallet. And that Bitcoin wallet allows you to send and receive Bitcoin via a blockchain-based system. So what the, what the blockchain itself does is verify that you, know, you or I indeed own the Bitcoin that we say we do. And then once we want to send it to another person, it verifies that transaction. So the, the record is forever recorded on the Bitcoin blockchain. And then once I send you that Bitcoin, um, it is verifiable that it is in your wallet. Compared to what we're normally used to, banking with financial institutions, I write a check or an electronic check or I swipe my credit card and that virtual money gets sent out into the world somewhere. Um, how does this differ? Is it better? Is it more efficient? Is it going to someday override the traditional banking system that we all are all used to? Sure. So I think, you know, one of the one of the best analogies that I've heard used to, you know, why this is so powerful is it really closes kind of a a trust gap in our economic system where if you or I go to the grocery store, you know, we are trusting that grocery store to, um, you know, have those proper products in stock. The marketing that's labeled on the actual product, we are trusting that grocery store that it is in fact uh, verifiably, you know, say organic. But what a blockchain allows us to do is uh, remove that grocery store intermediary. Um, so with a bank, you know, you no longer need a bank to tell you how much money you own, or you don't, you no longer need um, a bank to verify uh, the transactions that you or I are sending to one another. If I want to write you a check, you know, I send, I can uh, you know, sign the check and just send it to you. And then the the current procedure is for a bank to you know verify that I have the funds. And so we're trusting that you know the we're trusting that that third party intermediary to actually uh, facilitate that transaction. But what we've seen throughout history 
is that those third parties are you know often corrupt or you know face uh, an immense Too big number to of fail. In- <laughs> right and they they face a, an immense number of internal challenges um, it's you know obviously a problem that we saw in the 2008 financial crisis which really was you know kind of the genesis of bitcoin itself it's you know we have these big banks that we're trusting with all of our money but sometimes you know we we don't really know what's going on behind those walled gardens um, and as a user if you really want to kind of take back your financial power and and the ownership of your own funds, this is a system that allows you to do that. I see. And so does this threaten banks in the future? Do you find that banks are resistant to this or that some are saying, you know what, let's cooperate because this could see, this could someday t- dominate the industry and we want to be a player? Yeah, you know, there's absolutely a spectrum of use cases for this technology. There is a level of, of threat to big banks. But the, the best analogy that I've heard in, in response to that is, you know, asking a bank CEO about Bitcoin is like asking the head of the post office about email. It's really not uh, what they want to hear. And they do understand that it, it can be disruptive. That being said, like I mentioned, this is a spectrum. So there are projects that are actually geared towards banks to support their own internal problems, right? That, you know, we can solve one problem at a time. And one of these major problems is kind of the settlement costs between transactions. It takes a long time. You have to involve even, you know, additional third parties to settle transactions. And this is, you know, a multi-billion dollar problem. So there's projects like Ripple that are trying to facilitate these bank-to-bank transactions rather than, you know, really focusing on uh, getting rid of banks. It's just a matter of how can we best move assets around and, and verify that those assets are owned by a given party. Which brings us to your latest venture. And I say latest, even though you're still in your 20s, <laughs> you've been entrepreneurial at, since a very young age, uh, having won multiple business plan competitions as a teen. You've combined your background in computer science and finance to start Fund 3. Tell us what is Fund 3 and uh, how is it going to benefit all of us? Absolutely. So Fund 3 is really a a quantitative hedge fund that applies machine learning based trading algorithms to digital asset markets. Um, What we really want to use are algorithms that can look for patterns and mistakes in cryptocurrency markets. Uh, But this is really just a kind of an initial use case of our technology. And it's kind of just the most profitable at this time, where if you zoom out, Uh, what we're seeing is kind of an unprecedented move towards uh, new financial data. And with this new and massive amount of data, we're going to need to use artificial intelligence and machine learning to make sense of it all. And so, you know, with these kinds of these algorithms and this infrastructure, we're able to gain a very new look on a global economy that's obviously still forming. And cryptocurrency is really just one aspect of this new global economy, but in kind of tracking all of this data, aggregating it, making sense of it using uh, you know, AI-based analysis, we can gain a, a very interesting look into what is going on into the, in the economy. And so you started this a couple of years ago while you were in college. Tell us about that genesis. I mean, it's one thing to complete college. That's a, that's a feat in and of itself. You started a company 
in your dorm room, as the saying goes. <laughs> How'd you do it? Uh, one of my co-founders, Anthony, uh, we, he was actually my roommate during my senior year. Um, and we were just getting to know each other early on in the semester, um, kind of spitballing, you know, what we were interested in, what we were working on. We're both computer scientists um, and realized that we had, you know, similar ideas and, and similar passions. We had, you know, both had a lot of experience with blockchain technology and really saw you know, kind of its potential use cases. Um, and he was in a year long course called uh, Building the High Tech Startup at, at USC and invited me to join with him. Um, and, you know, the course is really just building a startup. You know, we, we go from uh, idea to planning to creation and it's, you know, it's focused towards engineers. So uh, we were able to build the products um, in that class. We met with our third co-founder and really, uh, you know, he had also been familiar with blockchain technology. And that was the genesis of Fund3. It was, you know, how do we best combine our skill sets and tackle a problem that we see that we can tackle um, in a in a new market, uh, so you know uh, I focus on kind of the operations of the company. Uh, my co-founder Anthony focuses on kind of algorithmic development. He's the machine learning expert, and my third co-founder Calvin uh, is really the the data expert on the team and has has worked at Google and and done AI research at USC. Um, and with that, uh, built a prototype version of an algorithmic trading strategy. Um, got great results early on, and then just accelerated quickly from there. Uh, raised a proof of concept fund uh, in the second semester of our senior year, tripled that in value over the next three months, um, and now are are taking on new, uh, larger size investors. When I think of a financial startup, one that is going to facilitate people's money, and in this case, we're not talking dollars and cents, we're talking cryptocurrency, but still currency. I think of a company that hopefully has people with a lot of experience in the financial industry or people who are older and wiser than me who have had a lot of, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of good, positive experience, profitable experience managing money. You're, you and your co-founders are young and don't have any experience in necessarily the financial industry, working in it, hedge funds, et cetera. Has that been difficult for you all as you've been trying to raise money and prove your concept? You know, it has been a kind of initial pushback for us. We do draw on a ton of experience from our great group of advisors uh, who have, you know, years and years of experience at major financial institutions uh, from J.P. Morgan, Bridgewater, PIMCO, etc. Um, and so they have been immensely helpful in, in kind of giving us that gray haired presence, uh, like you mentioned, that you, where you can feel comfortable um, managing those funds. However, in this asset class, uh, it really, uh, obviously, it's very new, um, but it's also a very new skill set to be able to uh, understand the technology and value the actual, uh, the actual assets themselves. It helps a lot, obviously, to have a computer science background where you can understand the cryptography behind the actual cryptocurrencies, um, and there's, it's really a, a shift in how you can value uh, a crypto asset, you know, the same fundamental analysis that you would do for a stock and you, you know, looking at financial statements, cash flows, PE ratios, those don't exist in, in cryptocurrencies. What really, what you have to look at is kind of the underlying network and what value uh, the developers are trying to bring to their audience, whether or not they will be able to deliver on those, on that value proposition, what that development roadmap looks like and whether they'll be able to meet those milestones. 
So for us, we've been in this space for a while. We've been trading, studying, and researching uh, this asset class. You know, we draw on a lot of experience, yes, but having this background is what is uh, a huge advantage in cryptocurrency markets. Another question about the industry that I have is just how fast is this progressing? Like, are we going to see a day in, say, the next 10 years in our lifetime when we'll mostly be working on this kind of platform versus, you know, sticking our money in a bank account, you know, waiting for the banks to tell us what our balances are? Sure. You know, in, in my opinion, I think that there is a world where the two technologies can coexist or the two the two spaces can coexist with with big banks, with people managing their own finances and kind of, you know, like a Bitcoin wallet. I do believe that there can be um, a world where where those two can coexist. That being said, we're really still on the very bleeding edge of what we can do with this technology. And what we're seeing is, you know, investors realizing that there's a huge amount of potential, but what people may not realize is how long it will probably take to reach those those visions. And I, I think that your timeline is probably more accurate. It's more on the, the 10 year, you know, in our lifetime type scale rather than, uh, you know, Bitcoin will be disrupting banks or that we're going to move away from a banking based system in the next few years. I think that's a bit, uh, a bit far fetched. All right. That's a, that's a, Good answer, I would say. That's a fair answer. <laughs> Coming from someone who may be a, a little biased, frankly, I was surprised. Maybe I thought you were going to say <laughs> Bitcoin is the future and uh, the future is now. So that's good. We don't have to uh, all run to the banks yet. <laughs> no, not definitely not yet. But I do think, you know, it, it would behoove anyone to spend the time to understand uh, what is being developed because there will become a point in time where we are a digital economy. And I think we're already seeing that shift. You, know, you can look at global cash payments are uh, you know, on the extreme decline. And in a lot of countries, digital payments are going to supersede cash payments in either the coming few years or even in the next year or so. So this, this kind of this shift towards, towards uh, you know, quote unquote, digital money is already happening, whether mm-hmm. or not that's a cryptocurrency based system. Personally, I never really carry around cash, and I don't think a lot of people in my generation do. It's just not uh, the most efficient system. It's going to take a, a bit of time for cryptocurrency to be able to service the, you know, the entire population, but there is a tremendous amount of value in that kind of technology applied to either legacy type systems or, you know, if they can't catch on, there will be a disruption in the future. Let's talk about Jack Finio. You were <laughs> raised in New York City. I understand just steps from Wall Street. You've been intrigued by entrepreneurship and investing and finance since you were very young. And at 17, I mentioned earlier, you'd won multiple business plan competitions. So firstly, is this in your DNA, not Bitcoin cryptocurrency fascination necessarily, but just, you, you know, your your passion for building and and starting things. Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, I started, I started at a very young age and knew that I kind of had that entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I do have to look to my parents though, as fellow entrepreneurs, they've been working together for many, many years and started their own, um, architectural firm. You know, I think I, I do have that, 
in my blood, whether or not they've been able to identify the entrepreneurial gene yet. But yes, you know, I, I think early on, I realized that there was a tremendous amount of value in building your own, your own concepts or, you know, tinkering with your own ideas um, and being able to kind of capitalize on market opportunities. Um, I realized that obviously investing was a major route towards, you know, kind of financial freedom and being able to make those financial decisions for yourselves, you know, invest in companies or ideas that you thought would provide value in the future. So yes, I, I think uh, there was always that kind of passion behind me and it, and it even led to towards me studying computer science in college where after these business plan competitions that I participated in high school, you know, we had won a bit of capital and I, I desperately wanted to turn those ideas into a reality, uh, but, you know, realized that I didn't have the technical skills at all to build what I wanted to, or, you know, hiring a developer was extremely expensive. And so going into college, uh, if I was ever going to be able to build what I wanted to or build on my own and, and turn my ideas into reality, I had to gain those skills on my own. What about money? You had obviously a lot of interest in investing, but did you get a lot of education around personal finances, saving, spending, anything like that growing up? I mean, living in New York, that's quite a unique experience compared to most children who grew up in suburbia. Uh, New York City is a very expensive place to live. You see all all angles of, of wealth and poverty. So what was your perspective on money growing up? How did you learn about the basics of money? Sure, yeah. So I do, uh, do credit New York to a lot of my uh, self-learning about financials. You know, it, it did kind of thrust me out on my own uh, from an early age, and I, I was always uh, very independent. So I, I did teach myself a lot. But I do think that parents really do or have been missing an opportunity to teach their children about finances and uh, you know, including your kids in the conversation about personal finances and you know, learning about money. Um, obviously, kids are blabbermouths and, and will go and run and tell their friends what they, what they hear from their parents. But uh, starting from an early age and understanding you know, what it takes to be financially independent and all of the logistics and decisions involved is something that you can definitely uh, learn early on. And I wish that I had a bit more guidance. And I think uh, a lot of people graduating college do uh, think the same. But I do credit, you know, growing up in New York and being very independent from an early age uh, to a lot of my own you know, financial learning um, and encouraging me to go out and read a lot about investing and you know, stocks and, and trading itself to kind of gain that financial freedom. So you said that with kind of a chuckle that you wish you'd learned some things maybe that were amiss growing up. Anything specific? Was there a misstep that you made? You're still young. There's lots of time to make more mistakes, (laughs) as I've learned. But uh, we talk often on the show about financial failures. What would you characterize as a money mistake to date? Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) So yeah, growing up, I was a huge saver. I would save as much as possible. I really didn't spend a lot of money at all. You know, like even with my lunch money, like if I ever, you know, I would, I would try to maintain a, you know, the, the smallest budget possible so I could save the leftover lunch money and then, you know, just have that um, in my savings account or, or have it around. So you know, whatever, whatever future purchase I wanted to make, I could if I wanted to. 
But then going into college, being on my own, I kind of made this and whether or not it was, you know, it was a, a realized shift or, or not, I shifted my mentality towards saving it to spending. And this was a very new mindset for me. It was, it was kind of a new reality, fending for myself and, and being, being on my own. But I wasn't prepared for that reality and I wasn't prepared for that mindset shift. And so uh, my spending definitely went overboard. And so the money that I, that I had saved uh, got you know, dwindled pretty quickly during college. Um, and now, you know, kind of looking back, I, it definitely could have gone towards, uh, you know, more productive things, I think. Wouldn't have guessed that from the boy who saved his <laughs> lunch money. From yeah. the boy who saved his lunch money. What did you, what was the dumbest thing you bought or spent your money on? And and you can't say pizza and beer and things like that. Because that's what, that's what every college kid spends money on. But was there something, oh, something else that you uh, regret spending your money on? Yeah, there was, yeah, there, obviously there was, there are a lot of the, the smaller things. I think, you know, I spent a lot of money on like concert tickets and, and trips that even in between classes, like, uh, you know, probably could have been better off, uh, either not taking, obviously there was, there was a lot of fun to be had, but, uh, did it result in credit card debt or was it just a bank account depletion? There was, yeah, there was definitely a bank account depletion. Uh, you know, obviously now as a graduate, there's you know, obviously, you know, student loans that mm-hmm. could be student loans that could be better prepared for with those savings. And so looking back, yeah, there, there could have, uh, there could have been a bit more saving. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's also, uh, worth talking and, and asking about your, Ability to fundraise for a startup. I think that's something that a lot of listeners who may be curious about starting their own businesses want to want some insight on is, is how do you actually go about raising money uh, as an, as a startup? Can you give us some advice? How did you go about it? Do you just start with people you know and trust you? Sure. Yeah. So just to give maybe a, a background on how we started at Fund3, we started testing our our trading algorithms with our own personal money um, and the test went really well we were getting fantastic results we were, we were absolutely destroying the market performance overall um, and so we took that that performance and then went to any investor that we could talk to anybody involved in finances with with venture funding about you know um, what you know what we had and and how how we could make this valuable and obviously, you know, they came back to us and said, yeah, you're very early on. You need more of a track record. We need, you know, kind of this and this, these metrics and this data. Um, so what we did was just take baby steps and so and say, all right, so if we need to, if we want to raise this amount of money, what do the people that we're going to be raising that money from need to see from us to feel confident in you know, writing that check? Um, so we had those conversations early on, which was extremely useful. So we kind of had an outline of exactly what we needed to accomplish. So from our own, from trading with our own personal money, we then raised a very small kind of proof of concept fund. Um, and to raise those funds, we had uh, a lot of friends and family members who had been asking us to you know, either manage their own cryptocurrency portfolios or invest on behalf of them. And so we said, hey, why don't you loan us this money. We will invest it for you. We'll give you a simple interest rate on your loan, but the company got to keep the rest of those funds. So number one, we got to kind of take our fund to the next order of magnitude in in terms of proof of concept, 
tracking the metrics and getting the data that our potential investors would need kind of later down the road where we are now. And we also raise, you know, basically a significant amount of operating capital through that deal because the, the company got to keep our returns from the fund. So we started out um, with a small amount, uh, but tripled that over the next few months. And so that kind of, you know, 200, 250% return basically went to the company um, and allowed us to grow significantly. Um, and now we're at the point where we do have the data, uh, we have the metrics, we have that track record that those investors want to see, um, need to see to, to uh, prove that we have taken a novel approach to this market and that novel approach has generated quite a bit of results. So basically you said to investors, look, give us a loan. We will pay you interest, which is guaranteed. We'll use that money to create proof of concept that we can actually grow this money above and beyond the, the loan interest, but whatever extra you earn, you kept. That's a no-brainer for the investor. Big risk for you, Jack. What made you confident that you could prove this model? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, we realized that if everything, you know, uh, fell apart, we could probably find a way to pay back our investors. So we weren't, we weren't jumping into this without some the, runway. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Some, some idea of, of being able to, uh, you know, make good on those loans. Um, but, you know, we also, we had great results from our early tests and we knew that we had uh, a huge opportunity in terms of the timing that we were entering the market. Prices were on the rise um, and our strategies were performing well in both you know, live and, uh, and kind of back-tested situations. So we had, yeah, so we had kind of uh, two safety nets, if you will. So we had some runway and then some great uh, confidence in kind of you know, the, the conditions that we were entering the market to be able to perform and prove what we were building was was going to be able to make good on on our promises. But at the end of the day, you know, any startup is taking a risk. So mm -hmm. if we were ever going to prove proof of concept, we had to go out and take that risk. Um, and I think if you talk to any entrepreneur, there's there has to be a level of of faith, right? You, right. Once you kind of step out, you you know, you're trusting that what what you've been pitching and what you've been saying is is, is that you're actually drinking your own Kool Aid. I get it. Right, yeah, right. Yeah, you have to have some skin in the game, and um, yeah. So once you kind of take that first step, it's there's no looking back, and and we never did. Uh, we just kind of kept looking forward, kept growing. You know, we tried to obviously risk manage as best we could, but to get the data that we needed, we had to take that risk. And how old are you again? I'm 22. 22? Yep. yep. I, hear, I thought you were at maybe 26, 25. <laughs> you're 22. You're a, I say this with all respect, is you're a baby. <laughs> but you're brilliant. You're, you're, you're 22 going on 42. So congratulations to you and your team. This is, uh, I mean, everything I'm hearing, I, I interview a lot of entrepreneurs all the time, and I never heard of anyone with the model you just talked about, how, you know, thinking, how can we create a no brainer for investors that they'll give us their money? And that's a win, basically a win win for everybody. That's an incredible strategy and, and takeaway. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I'm glad it worked out. Absolutely. Thank you. I'm glad it is working out. Okay. <laughs> back to you and your money. What is a financial habit that you're now practicing that maybe you weren't in college because you feel as though maybe you didn't get all the all the right education ahead of that, but now as you've kind of 
reflected on all of that? Is there a habit that you're practicing? It could be daily, weekly, monthly that helps to keep your money where it needs to be, that keeps it growing? Sure. Yeah. So personally, I'm a huge planner. You know, I like to have an idea always of what the next steps are going to be. And that comes with my job. You know, I, I am in charge of operations of the fund. And so obviously it, it is important for me to have an idea of you know, the next few months, the next year, um, and where we are financially. But that carries over into my own personal life. If I can have an idea of, you know, even if it's just my monthly spending and how that spending is allocated, but, you know, what am I spending my money on? That means that if something comes up, if there's an event, if there's a, you know, a challenge that I'm facing financially, I can properly plan for that and know what effect that event is going to have on my financials, you know, uh, tomorrow, in the next week, in the next month, in the next year. Um, and, you know, having that ability to kind of risk manage in my own personal finances has given me a lot greater flexibility and a lot more comfort um, in how I'm spending my money. Yeah. Now you have to really be accountable to not just yourself, but to this business. <laughs> right. You've right. got investors. That's huge. <laughs> Let's do some so money fill in the blanks. This is when I start a sentence and you finish it. First thing that comes to mind, okay? Sure. Have a little fun with it. Let your hair down, Jack. (laughs) If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is... Invest in Bitcoin. Ah. Uh, (laughs) uh, No, obviously, yes. Obviously, uh, as an investor, um, I would put quite a bit of money towards cryptocurrency and kind of, uh, you know, uh, filling out that portfolio and... Um, and getting that the proper exposure to this new asset class, I think any investor, uh, both traditional and uh, you know, kind of uh, risk uh, risk taking, can allocate some capital towards uh, this market. Um, but beyond that, yes, I you know I would allocate some funds towards cryptocurrency. Um, I think you know just being in LA and seeing the growth here in the city, I'm very bullish on real estate here. I would love to uh, invest in the market here. Um, and then, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I gotta be honest, uh, you know, sailing is my happy place. So yeah. If I, yeah. If I could get like just even, you know, a little, uh, bathtub <laughs> with a sail on it and, and, and get out into the ocean, I would be extremely happy. That's cool. Um, how do you invest in Bitcoin? That's a very rudimentary question, but can you answer that in like 30 seconds? Like how do we actually, someone listening on the show now? Yeah. That sounds like a good idea. Jack says I should invest in Bitcoin. How do I do that? Absolutely. And yeah, so just to start, you know, a lot of the companies offering that gateway are startups in and of themselves. Um, so it is a very new space and it comes with difficulties. It's not the easiest process in the world. That being said, um, I think, you know, the, the logical first step for most people uh, in the space has been to go to a site uh, called Coinbase. Mm-hmm. Um, and Coinbase has made uh, kind of made the first step in making the user interface of investing in these currencies and assets very easy um, and you can feel confident that your assets are stored securely um, and they do a great job in terms of handling those uh, those very basic uh, problems that are kind of you know really fundamental to any investor and that we don't necessarily realize because of how uh, maybe easy it is to enter into the stock market or, or gain access to um, kind of more traditional assets. I see. All right. That's a, that, that was very helpful. There's actually a website for this that we can all check out. What is it again? 
It's called Coinbase. Coinbase. Okay. When I splurge, I love to spend my money on... Food. I am a huge foodie and being in LA does not help. Um, <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's a taco truck on every corner. Um, you know, there's the fantastic sushi. Um, my girlfriend and I love to cook. And, you know, so whenever, whenever we get the chance to, uh, to, yes, to splurge, it's, it's always on, on, on a good meal. Yes. Also, who has time to cook when you're starting a business, but you (laughs) do. (laughs) There's a level of batch cooking involved, maybe. Yeah. 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 uh, Sunday night, you just, you know, (laughs) throw whatever ingredients you have in the fridge into a big pot and hope it tastes good. Yes. Um, uh, but with some with some experimentation and iteration, it's uh, it's gotten it's gotten okay. I think uh, I think we're pretty proud with where it's uh, where our cooking is at. Awesome. When I spend money on something that makes my life easier or better, I spend on education. Uh, yeah, I think education is you know the the kind of longest process that we are ever involved in, um, and there's no. Uh, you know, there's, there's always something to learn and there's always uh, a new way to learn it. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I even, you know, I'll read textbooks when I have the chance or, you know, I'll I'll buy kind of new uh, programs just to play around with them. Um, whatever kind of skills I could teach myself, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, understanding new markets or new technology. Um, I'm always trying to learn and improve on myself. When I was growing up, the one thing I wish I had learned about money is the power of investing. Um, I think you know we we focus a lot on spending and saving, um, budgeting, and kind of personal finances. Uh, but if you can take that a step further and say, if I have this amount of savings, can I invest that and turn that into even more money? Um, I think you know if you look at kind of the you know, the smartest people in the world. They'll all tell you how powerful compounding interest is. Um, and if you can understand concepts like that, you can you know, kind of master markets. Uh, but investing is a very powerful thing, and it doesn't have to be complicated or difficult. At the end of the day, you can just invest in technology and companies that you believe in or use on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. I mean, just let it sit and ride it out. You know, I think sometimes we get overwhelmed by this concept of we have to keep an eye on it and trade and, uh, you know, sell high, buy low. And it's like, just buy something and hold on to it for 25 years. It'll probably be worth more (laughs) uh, than when you bought it. And and obviously diversification is important. Don't buy one stock, (laughs) you know, have a portfolio, but I think uh, you're, you're absolutely right about that. When I donate, I like to give to blank because... You know, just like I like to invest in my, my own education, I like to empower the education of others. Um, I think if you look at the, uh, the proliferation of new technology in recent years, we've seen huge, huge advances in you know, personal technology and, and just across the board. Um, but when it comes to education, we've really remained kind of in the same place that we were decades, decades ago. Um, and it's really unfortunate. I think, you know, there's a huge opportunity to improve on how individuals are educated and, and in such a, um, interconnected world that we live in now, the fact that we're kind of confined to the classroom on a day-to-day basis is, is so unfortunate. Um, but I think that, you know, I, I hope that people are 
taking strides now. And I think that we're kind of coming to that realization that, you know, it, it won't really matter um, how much progress we make if that, if we, if that progress doesn't affect people across the board. And, uh, and if we improve on our own education system, I think that we have a much better chance of, of, you know, bringing these uh, kind of grand visions of the future uh, into reality. And last but not least, I'm Jack Finio. I'm so money because... I am so money because I am always looking for new markets, new market opportunities, uh, new investment opportunities that you know, my skills, my knowledge can uh, can capitalize on. Um, hopefully make a little bit of money on the way, um, but just you know, learning more and, and staying up to date with new technologies. A reminder, listeners, Jack is 22. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure on everyone else listening. It's been wonderful chatting with you, Jack. I really love what you're doing. I think you're so smart and so nice. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show, Farnoosh. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was really an amazing experience. And yeah, just happy to share whatever I can. I'll be looking for you in the headlines. This, this story is not <laughs> right. going to be going away. And um, it's nice to know that uh, good, smart people like you are behind it. So uh, good luck with everything. And don't be a stranger. Come back when you've got more to share. Thank you so much. Thanks so much to Jack Finio, co-founder of Fund3, for stopping by. His website is fund3.co, co, and Jack is on Twitter, at Jack Finio. So if you have any additional questions about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, Fund3, Jack is a millennial, so he will definitely be responding on social media. <laughs> Listen, if you want to co-host the show with me on Fridays, you know what to do, right? Go to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, and there you can obviously send me a question, but also get in touch with me and let me know that you want to co-host and why, and hopefully we'll connect for a future episode. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money. Money.